Boom, hello and welcome to the Executive Protection Lifestyle Podcast, Season 3. With your host, Byron Rogers, this podcast is dedicated to the executive protection practitioner, the private security professional. In this podcast, we're going to talk about the mental, emotional, psychological, physiological fitness that goes into being an efficient and effective executive protection agent. Whether you're in law enforcement, whether you're a mom that's looking at how to protect her children or a father that's focused on how to protect his family, I believe this podcast has something for all of you. We might even get into some tales from the crypts of true Hollywood stories from time to time. I'm doing this podcast because I feel the reality of this job is simple. If you really want to be good at executive protection, it's more than just a job. It really is a lifestyle. And those of you who've been in the game for any serious amount of time, you already know what I'm saying is true. So if that sounds interesting to you, enjoy the show. Out. Boom. What's up, you guys? Byron Rogers here with another awesome episode of the Executive Protection Lifestyle Podcast. Um, I might also air this on the Protector Podcast. I have an honored guest here, someone I've looked up to in the industry for years. We go back a few years. Um, someone I got training from because a shop I was working with that's a, a high-level boutique shop, Talent Executive Services, told me to go to his course back when I was coming up in the game. So it's an honor to have you on the show. Max Josephs, how you doing? Hey, Byron. Uh, highly motivated to be here, and I uh, hope you're doing well. Awesome. No, doing good, man. We stand in the fight. We're trying to, we were impacting the game, you know, so I'm happy, you know, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, my first exposure to you and what you're doing, uh, have been doing for years was just, you know, I was coming up in the game. I did a lot of my learning, uh, just on the job, you know, learning to drink out of that fire hose that is yep. the executive protection game. And then Talon was basically said, Hey, look, we're sending, as many of our agents, not sending, but we want as many of our agents to go to this training as possible. Um, and since talent is who they are in the in the industry, I was kind of like, all right, it's time to up my game and learn some things, learn how to do things right, <laughs> you know, not just how to do things, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and you definitely helped me with that in, in a lot of ways. I've always appreciated that training because it really put parameters uh, on what I'm doing and gave me content to work with, work into, you know, my flow. So. Thank you for that. Thanks for being who you are in the industry. No, of course. So, you know, you talk about learning, uh, you know, on the job, on the job training. That's that's how most of us all start in this business, you know? Yeah, man. Yeah. And it's tough. I mean, the EP industry is kind of like the Wild West still in, in so many different respects. You know, it's guys, sometimes guys can sell, get themselves in a position um, and you can even have success. I think. What's really important, though, when it comes to training is going and learning from different shops. So you have some ideas of how other people are doing it. And if you're even doing it correctly, because experience helps us build like robust strategies into what it is we're doing. Just because nothing happens doesn't mean you're doing it right is what I'm saying, you know? Yep. Yeah, man. So the first question I always like to dive in and just dive in deep is uh, who is the man behind the work? Who are you at your core? That's a, that's a tough question. Um, yes, you know, multi-levels, obviously, you know, I'm a, I'm a father, I'm a husband. Uh, but I mean, if I had to kind of sum it up pertaining to EP field, I'm a, I'm a Marine in my core, you know, always. Yeah. Right. And it's, that's so true, man. I remember when I was training with you, 
it was like refreshing to be around a Marine again. It just, just all of the lingo and the energy and the intensity. And I just remember being like, ah, you know, I've missed this. I didn't realize how much I missed it. That, that was a real good effect. No, that's our, that's our style of teaching. Uh, you know, I learned it in the Marine Corps, the, the, our method of teaching and our just ideology behind it uh, mm-hmm. is very effective. I, I have no doubt it is because we've been right. in business over 30 years now and we couldn't have been doing something terribly wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's interesting to me, like, you know, we go through what we go through in the core and it just stays with us. Why do you, I mean, maybe it's because it works. Maybe it's because, and sometimes I talk about how like they help you build an engine, you know, for life really and leadership. Why do you think that time, you know, I've got, I've interviewed a number of guys that have done multiple things, you know, that have gone through, you know, that have gone all the way up to becoming, you know, Delta force and being part of the unit. But if Correct. you ask them, they're like, well, Hey, I'm the a proudest Marine. time in their life. You have the proudest time yeah. in their life is in the Marine Corps. What do you think that's about? I think I, I know it's about the discipline and it's about, um, you know, once a Marine, always a Marine is not just a catchphrase. Right. And you talk to guys that were former army and they're like, well, yeah, I used to be in the army, you know, but you talk to devil dogs and they're like, no, I'm, I'm a Marine. Right. And uh, I've, I've talked to 85 year old dudes, you know, World War II vets and they're like, I'm a Marine, you know? <laughs> Heck yeah. And no, I think that discipline is huge. It is the big difference. And it is, it is uh, one of the most valuable things I talk about getting into the civilian world. And it's like, I had this nest egg, you know, of discipline that I, I always try to protect and like, like a little flame, you know, that I try not to let go out as I've been in the civilian world, you know, that the Marine Corps kind of gifted, like built into me. Um, I think there's a lot to be said for those tools when it comes to life. That's huge. No, there's no doubt. When I came to your first protector symposium, uh, I was blown away at how many Marines were there. You're gracious enough to let me come up and give that award to Aaron Molding. And, um, you know, it was just after the Marine Corps birthday. And I, I, you know, there was like a show of hands, you know, how many devil dogs in this audience. And it was unreal. (laughs) It is. We find each other in like life, you know, (laughs) you know. I'm at the park the other day uh, with the family and I look at one of the brothers. He's just, just, you could just, you just, we know each other. And I'm like Semper Fi and he's like Semper Fi. Mm -hmm. And the wife, of course, she does this from time to time. She's just like, how do you guys even, you know, know? And I'm like, it's just, we both laugh. Like, it's just part of the thing. You real recognize real, you know? Yeah. No doubt about that. Yeah. hundred percent. So these days with what you're doing, um, and you have an amazing kind of background. Uh, would you mind just real quick cursory, just going over, you know, your tactical background and what you're up to these days? You know, I mean, it start, started out in the Marine Corps. I was very fortunate to get in a good unit. I was with the uh, third recon battalion, uh, for a year and a half over in Okinawa. And then my last six years with first recon camp Pendleton. Right. And those are really my formative years of, of learning how to teach, you know, because going up through the ranks, uh, we ended up, um, you know, be running a 10 week uh, in-house recon indoctrination program for these guys. And NCOs were in charge of the entire curriculum, you know, development and training of these guys. And so that gave me a lot of confidence when I got out uh, to become an instructor and mm-hmm. you just structure our own programs. Cause all of our syllabuses of every course we teach has been developed by myself uh, with, with direct action group and, and also uh, TFTT formally. But um yeah, I mean, it was just a, a very good time. And I was fortunate enough to go to a lot of special operations schools at that time. And um, it just, I had a blast. Awesome. Yeah, we're going to dig into a lot of that experience that you have. Um, and it's an honor to learn under someone who has so much experience these days. I, I want to make sure that 
I don't know, guys coming up in the game really value that because that experience can help us not only improve what it is we're trying to bring to bear, but avoid a lot of things <laughs> that can be showstoppers to the career and even, you know, to life out here in this, in the industry and in the game, for sure. What would you say is your mission these days? I mean, our mission is, is pretty much remained unchanged since I started my company, just uh, to provide, I think the difference with my company and a lot of others that are out there is that we're very diversified as far as our, our skill sets and background. We're not just single-minded, like some right. some individuals are just single-dimensional. Okay, um, I, I, I get it. I served three years in Iraq. I killed 50 people. That's awesome. That's that's impressive. But that doesn't make you a good instructor. It doesn't make you a good you know executive protection specialist. Mm-hmm. You know, so, I mean, our, our mission is to provide realistic and demanding training. You know, we don't cater to the lowest common denominator. Um, and I work with Police departments, you know, I only work really with the SWAT guys because over the years with patrol, you know, I work with some of their firearms instructors and like, well, we have to cater to the lowest common denominator. You know, I'm like, well, then you're hiring the wrong people, you know, if you got <laughs> right. to do that. But, the, you know, the most tech guys are pretty squared away. And so that's a, a lot of our, our work these days. When the wars were going on, you know, we had a lot of uh, military contracts going on um, with the Army and the Navy. But, um, you know, these days it's back to the the game of the EP guys and, you um, uh, dog on PDs. Yeah. Wow. You said how long have you guys been in business? 31 years. That's impressive. Especially during these times, like, you know, the whole COVID thing and everything else, you know, has really, it's, uh, it's challenged a lot of people's business models. What would you say has been, well, two things. One, um, I was looking at your instructor cadre. One thing I really appreciate about your brand is you have instructors and you've brought in good people of a, of a high pedigree in order to also be able to contribute to your demographic. Um, and, you know, in our world of kind of, you know, the Instagram influencer and like the cool guy flashbang stuff, you know, it's like, to me, it's refreshing to see a brand that's just not all about one person because, together we can achieve more is like it's really a thing <laughs> you know um, no without a doubt uh so yeah over three decades i've had less than a dozen guys work for me as, as tactical instructors you know they're wow. all vetted for several years before i ever even consider bringing them on board wow and so if you ever receive a peer instruction from one of my instructors it's the same as getting from me you know standing in fact this is them right there outstanding Ta-da. That's the pack. Ash, Ashley Payne, our first female cadre member I ever brought on board. Yeah. They're all very squid away. Yeah. And she's out there in the industry doing some awesome stuff too. I got to get her on this podcast as well. She's in the EP game uh, doing Definitely. some big things. hundred percent. Yep. No, that's good to go. How would you say, how has COVID, COVID and this whole pandemic impacted uh, what you guys are doing? Are you guys back up and running things back to normal? Uh, did it impact you guys? I know it was a drought for a lot of people. No, it impacted us big time last year. And um, we're getting back on track. But I had uh, a ton of training lined up with different departments who all had to cancel because of, uh, you know, travel restrictions and distancing requirements and all that. And so, but it was no big deal. And, you know, I like to surf and stuff. So I had a lot of time to get down to the ocean and uh, just relax a little bit. So, but I'm looking forward to getting back in the, you know, hitting the airports and traveling like we normally do. Heck yeah. No, that's awesome. It was a little bit of a drought for a lot of people, but I think it gave us some time to recalibrate our visions and come up with fresh plans for the next, for the upcoming year, man. It's uh, and it also, 
I think helped a lot of us evolve our training models, you know, and I've got to come down there and do some tactical reviews with you, man. I got to stay in the loop with what you guys are bringing so I can like get some training and, and get some hands-on content out to the game, man. I'd, I'd love to do that. No, we'd love to have you back out, you know, and um, everyone has come out who has been recommended by you or, you know, uh, said you sent them out as evolving very squared away. So continue doing so by all means. Yeah, that's good to know. That's that's good feedback, man. That's good good to get. What would you say uh, now just digging into kind of your time in different departments and different organizations? Uh, what would you say would be your biggest takeaway from your time uh, as an anti-terrorist, doing anti-terrorist work? You were doing that for 20 years? I'm still, I still work for ATA. It's been 24 years now. Wow. And so my last trip with those guys was over in Africa. That's been an amazing experience. I got brought on in 1997. They had my resume for about three years before they were calling me. Wow. And uh, when they did, they originally brought me on as a, as a sniper, but I ended up um, as a sniper instructor, but I ended up uh, doing a lap move over to the breaching cell because I, when it comes to training those guys that prefer breaching stuff over than over than sniping. But um, yeah, I think that the coolest thing with those guys has been to learn to work with different cultures for a common goal. You know, I've, I've worked in about 20 different countries. Uh, not all of them fun, but most of them were. And the thing is, no matter what background these guys come from, whether, you know, what language they speak, the common goal is the suppression or eradication of terrorism. And so it's a, it's a common bond. And I think soldiers are soldiers or warriors are warriors worldwide. You know, I have this three word a day rule, Byron. No matter what country I'm in, I'm going to learn three words every single day, three new words, you know. Nice. And the next day I'll remember those three and I'll learn three more. And within, you know, two weeks, you can carry on a simple conversation. So, um, you know, I just I really I really enjoy bonding with those guys and not being you know the American and asking if they have a KFC in town, you know. But uh, <laughs> no, seriously, and, and a lot of dudes so can't pull that off. A lot of dudes yeah. are just they're, they're too American and, um, mm -hmm. you know, they can't, you know, humble themselves to, to other environments, and other cultures. You know, they're complaining about, you know, austere conditions and all that. Well, hey, you shouldn't have taken a job if you don't like austere conditions, you know. Right. Man, that is uh, that's wisdom. I was on a call with Christian West the other day. And we we're talking about advanced work and some of the friction points that Asians run into. Run into out there in the game doing advanced work and one of the biggest ones that we were kicking back and forth was kind of the whole cultural uh considerations you know like how to be effective with your social dynamics in other countries how to lead with respect in other countries how that can you know make or break an operation understanding the culture enough to understand their relationship to time things like this uh so you know when you're talking about learning three words a day I think that's wisdom, man. That's something I'm definitely going to look at picking up for sure. Cause I believe it kind of helps grease those relationships and, uh, no, just there's, shows no doubt, no, there's no doubt it does, you know, they respect it, you know, same as we, you know, want people coming here and uh, at least making an attempt to, you know, speak English, even if they're just visiting. Right. Um, but I know, I think it's, um, it's the way to go. And a lot of, like I said, a lot of dudes have trouble adjusting to that because they're not used to it. And, and I, don't, right. I don't think some people are meant to do it period. Right. No matter how long they're, they're still like, they're still, you know, a little bit stiff with it. But um, now other than that, it's been a good time. My favorite dudes to work with, with ATA um, were the Lebanese dudes. From really? Beirut. Yeah, they were outstanding. I saw those guys several times and I still maintain contact with them. Uh, Nepalese going to Nepal, that was squared away. Uh, Indonesia, those are my three favorite countries. Yeah. But yeah, 
that's about that. That's interesting, man. I've, I've definitely been to Indonesia a few times and kind of on what you said too about the American thing, it's huge because we do not have a good stigma internationally when it comes to going to a lot of places. And I think it's something that Americans need to uh, take into consideration when they're looking to join forces with other, uh, other countries. It's uh, something I want to like put a star next to you when you guys are on the road, make sure you, you, you interact with people, lead with humility, lead with respect always because Americans haven't always made a good name for themselves out there. And it will, it'll positively impact your work product uh, to the client and your mission. If you guys can come from a place of humility out there, man. No, hundred percent. And, you know, like I said, causing your, like you just said, causing your client embarrassment, you know, is, is definitely bad news. And that can happen, especially if, if someone's trying to be, I guess, uh, brash or whatnot, when you're dealing with customs, you're dealing with people that are, you know, when you're going through airports, it can get you delayed and, you know, even worse. So, Oh yeah. You got to humble out. I had a buddy, legit, hardcore, hardcore as they come, man, got held up in his, in the, in, in the Ben-Gurion uh, Israeli airport for seven hours because he popped off at the mouth going through customs, cracked a bad joke. And uh, we had to leave him at the airport, man. We're like, hey, man, just link up with us at the hotel because you're going to be here for a while, man. We got to go SF, man. You got to catch up. Seven hour um, delay is definitely a bad joke. Yeah, man. And he, I mean, he's as hard as they come, but when you're in their hands, you're in their hands. You got to play mm -hmm. the game. Nope. That's a fact. Right. Yeah. I got a lot of stories about getting, getting delayed and stuff in different countries, but uh, yeah, it just is what it is. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Sometimes you got to play the game. What would you say is your biggest takeaway from your time in recon that translates into security or just overall? Uh, without a doubt, it would be it would be leadership. Um, also, I guess you know, like I had mentioned before, the curriculum development, how to how to start training, how to figure out, objectivize your training goals, and you know, build upon those one block at a time. Uh, you know, recon was a blast. Um, I know that everyone's proud of whatever the unit they were in, but um, I really had the opportunity to do some extraordinary things there. You know, as far as going to different schools, and um, it's just a, it was an outstanding time. Also, starting at Paris Island boot camp, mm -hmm. going to Okinawa, ended up out here in California at first recon, which is great because I had two of my brothers that live right outside Pendleton. Uh, Sweet. One up in, yeah, one in San Clemente and the other down in Fulbright. So being out here and uh, being by the ocean uh, was uh, very motivated, better than being in, uh, on the East Coast. <laughs> yeah. It I remember getting like we were picking our duty. Well, we were putting in our request for our duty station. The dream like, everyone was asking for Hawaii. And um, I didn't know. We well, don't know any better. Camp Pendleton is like the best place to get stationed. I got mm -hmm. stuck. I got put there um, and in standard Marine Corps fashion. We did. We took a hump through um, 52 area Horno and we saw a squad bay that was condemned in 1985, which, you know, that's the year I'm born. And it's got like rats' nests and birds' nests in it. And I remember looking over and I remember while we were humping and being like, man, I hope I never get stationed here. Well, the Marine Corps guys were listening. <laughs> and I legitimately got stationed in Horno and had to re 
we I was the guy, me and my little other boots were the guys that had to clean out that specific squad bay, chase out the rats, fight the birds, and repaint it and restore it and live there for a year until we went to Iraq. I was just like, this is this is the Marine Corps poetic. No, that's crazy. I work a lot with uh, a New Zealand guy named Alan Brosnan. And mm-hmm. Alan, Alan owns uh, Tactical Energetic Entry Systems, which is breaching and school back east. We've worked together since 89, right before I even got out of the Marine Corps. I met him. But um, I was doing a course with him years ago, back in the 90s, right? And there was a dude helping us out, his retired FBA HFT guy. And he's like, uh, I was talking about Ranger School. He goes, he was a Marine. He was a Marine in Vietnam. He goes, you know, I went to Ranger School in 1962. I'm like, 62, that's the year I was born, you old bastard. <laughs> now you're talking about 85, the year you're being born. I was jumping yeah. out of planes in 1985. That's wow. when That's the year I went to jump school. Man, this so, world, we all take a turn, man. And, and for all you young bucks out there, you'll be exactly like me, like, like Byron for years from now. But just yeah. stay, hard, stay hardcore. Don't matter. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. No, stay dangerous. Stay hardcore as long as you can. It's an honor to be dangerous. It's an honor to be able to still be able to do these things. And every day we are able is beautiful. Uh, as, long, as long as you use your power for good, not evil. That's the, that's the key. hundred percent. And that's uh, no, I, I completely agree, man. I love that you said that because we all, that's what I always say is we all take a turn. We all take a turn. You know, you see that guy that's been around the block and maybe he's getting older. You better be respectful because you're going to be there in like 10 minutes. <laughs> you're going to be there in 10 minutes. There's no exaggeration. Yeah, man. It's going to feel quick. Uh, what would you say? Scout snipers uh, within the Marine Corps. What was a big takeaway from them? What did you learn from that experience? They, I went to scout sniper instructor school in Quantico. So each division has a, a division of sniper school, but wow. Quantico is the is the instructor school, right? So it's mm-hmm. it's a couple of weeks longer. It was uh, eight weeks long. Uh, fantastic school. Uh, it taught me patience, mm-hmm. without a doubt. You know, whether you're stalking or whether you're doing position selection. Uh, it taught me uh, attention to detail, you know, where you're talking about your camouflage and, you know, your, your position once again. And I'll tell you, it totally pertaining to EP, and no one would ever think this, mm-hmm. uh, it taught me how to write operation orders. I'm, I'm talking, I'm talking good ones, very, very detailed op orders. It's something that a lot of teams overlook. A lot of SWAT teams do too. You know, they gather around the hood of a car and, and draw something out on an MRE box with a, with a magic marker. That's not an op order, right? So out of the 24 dudes started my class at Quantico, um, 11 graduated, 11 or possibly 12. Um, only one dude was dropped for shooting skills because everyone that was selected to go to that school because we had seals there we had sf guys along with marines uh were the best shooters from their units to begin with so only one dude dropped from shooting but guys were dropped for uh writing bad op orders guys were dropped for uh uh you know not passing stalks with with two tens and so there was a lot of um a lot of things you wouldn't think about the school was about a lot more than just shooting but you know as far as refining my shooting you know, remember, Byron, remember walking down the rifle range when you're in boot camp and you're looking at the 500 yard line and you're like, they want me to hit that thing. I can hit barely that? see it from here. Yeah, yeah, man. And the target's like a, a speck on the end of your iron sight. A, like a, your, the a speck like, on the end. And yeah, we're, we're, but we ended up hitting it, you know? So right. walking out on the range of Quantico, now we're looking at a thousand yards, you know, and I'm just like, they got to be out of their mind if they expect me to hit that, you know? And by the, <laughs> by the end of the course, I mean, it just, it was a no brainer. Just, you know, just listen to what they say. That's yeah. it. Just listen to your instructors. They know what the hell they're doing. And so just stay with that. But yeah, that was a, it was a good school. I was always, I kind of grew up in the Midwest and I always liked 
you know, wilderness. I like camping. I like rustic stuff. And that school was, it, it drew people like that. Not so much dudes that were, you know, always, you know, not used to not showering for weeks and things like that. But I mean, that, it was just, it was, a, it was a fantastic school. So what I'd take away from that, Byron, would be patience, attention to detail and right not borders. And that stayed with patience. me. And that helped me out later on with a lot of things. Yeah, no, that's that engine, patience, attention to detail, organizing, writing op orders. These are huge takeaways. Another thing uh, that I got from what you said was just what you can do if you submit to the right process, the right formula from good training, you know, because I experienced that same feeling when I was looking at that 500 yard line. I was like, seriously, <laughs> I was like, I got iron sights and I went through when we had iron sights. Now they're doing all kinds of other stuff. God <laughs> bless them. You know, and I just remember being like this. It was very necessary to experience frustration and come to the realization that uh, I didn't have the skills to be able to do something in order to psychologically relax and soak up what I was being taught, you know, mm-hmm. so good training and, and and the right attitude can take it. it well, going, going back to the rifle range and boot camp, you know, it doesn't matter whether a guy went through MCRD San Diego or Paris Island, but the, right. the, the rifle range is still the same. And for one week, before we shot in the rifle range, remember what we did? It's a shot at a barrel. Yeah, snapping week. <laughs> snapping week. A week yep. of dry fire. And for those of you out there that don't believe me, okay, I, I guarantee you this is true. Thousands of times we dry fired those rifles at mm. uh, Abel and, and dog targets on that drum. So when you finally went live fire in the range, after all that trigger control rehearsal, you know, it, it became pretty easy. Exactly. Yeah, and that, I mean, now that I've been trying to get into competitive shooting and trying to you know, up my game, you know, I find oh, the good guys are like, yeah, you need to get your underwear hours in, man. And I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, you need to be practicing at your house, getting your dry fire on and working the simple things, the mechanics, those fundamentals. And I'm just like, here we go again. <laughs> it ain't sexy. And so we don't do it as much as we need to, but it's the game, you know? Yep. No, that's good to watch. So where did you go? Did you go to Paris Island or you went to uh, San Diego? No, I was, yeah, I was MCRD, San Diego, the whole, the whole time, you know, mm-hmm. I, I never got to go and experience fight the sand fleas or anything like that. So, yeah, that was my West Coast Marine. Diplomatic security and consulting. What would you say about that? Biggest takeaways, things that you still use. So that's kind of, that's when I started in the field and um, mm-hmm. I was in the Marine Corps and I was going to stay in for 30 years because I love my job. I got paid to yeah. shoot and swim and jump out of planes. I, I loved it. I was, there's no way I was going to get out. Uh, right about 1990, uh, the big surge of guys got out. They were trying to get guys to get out. You know, they were you know, like giving them bonuses sometimes to, you know, mm. to leave early, take early yeah. out. And so like nine guys from my platoon all got out. And about six months later, one of them called me and they said, Sergeant Joseph, you got to come check out this job we got. You'll never believe it. And you got to remember back then, Byron, this is before 9-11. Mm-hmm. And the, just the whole EP world was not anywhere near like it is nowadays, where you have Google, you have all these gigantic, you know, multi-trillion dollar companies. You know, it was very unique and kind of unheard of back then, mm-hmm. other than so-called celebrities having, you know, bodyguards. You know, so the, I got out, or I went up there, I checked it out. There was a full-time team of 37 guys working for a client, an American uh, client up in Beverly Hills. And um, I got out and I was number 38 in that team, you know, and 38 full timers. That's a large detail by anybody's standards, even yeah. even nowadays. And so that was it was culture shock to me because getting out, you know, the, I, 
but the, one of the few times I've ever been to an indoor shooting range in my life, because those things scare the hell out of me. Yeah, uh, <laughs> me too, man, for sure. My interview, my job interview was at the Beverly Hills Gun Club and mm-hmm. went up there. I had my resume, which I was quite proud of. I thought it was pretty, pretty stacked for, you know, for how young I was at that time. Right. I hand it to the dude. He glances at it, throws it on a table. He's like, we got a bunch of guys with resumes like this. He goes, get online. Get online. Get, get okay. online. Get online. And for the next hour, he ran me through shooting drills. Okay. You know, I, I was already, people knew my, the guys who worked up there said, no, man, start, you know, Sergeant Joseph squared away. Just look at his resume. But shooting, and I'm going to get to this later on if we cover this topic. I, I get it. The shooting is a very, very minuscule or non-existent part of what we do in EP. Yeah. However, every quality team that I've ever been on, I've been on quite a few different ones, have always had weapons handling, you know, and, and weapons proficiency right. um, as a prerequisite for getting on that team, period. You know, right. I mean, of course, we've brought on guys who had special skills, you know, special computer skills or language skills or whatever. But I'm talking the the AICs and the guys that are with the principal. OK, they had to go through some sort of selection. Same as when Triple Canopy started. And they were picking people to go on the first details over the rack. Oh, know, yeah. That was that was a, a diligent selection process they had, you know, mm-hmm. and the, the guys used to say, you know, well, we, we don't care what you once did. It's what you could do upon command, you know, get them right right now. And so, yeah, I got out, uh, worked up there, uh, stayed on retainer with him. I started my company about the same time. Okay. And going back to that, Alan Rosner, it's like him and he got out of the, the SAS the same time as I got out of recon to go work for the same client in Beverly Hills. We met each okay. other up there in a detail. And so him and I were kind of putting his charges of statement training for the rest of that team. And so I started my company that time. I'm like, I, I, I did this in the Marine Corps. I can train, I can teach guys to shoot. I can teach guys these drills. And so I ran my company part-time, but full-time EP for several years before I took the leap over to run my company full-time. Right. But yeah, it was, it was a culture shock big time. You know, I talked about the job interviews, you know, they're like, uh, you got a suit. I'm like, well, I got a pair of dress blues. That's the only suit I ever. <laughs> that's, that's, the only, that's, that's the only suit I ever wore in my life, right? Right, like, right, right. Like you got you got body armor. I'm like, well, I got my level four point blank plates, and they're like, no, 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 no. You got you have a lot to learn up here, you know. Wow. And and there was no doubt it was culture shock, you know, going from mm-hmm. you know spitting Copenhagen and you know being you know just being being a freaking marine to being up there in that environment. Right. The client, the client that was the first main client that I worked for. Um, I wouldn't say he was, it was just, he was aloof. He wasn't a dick by any means. He was a right. very, very intelligent, very nice guy, but he, for security, we just didn't exist. He didn't right. say good morning to you in the morning. Right. right. And I'm good with that. I'm right. totally good with that. Some guys are like, you don't even say good morning to us. You know, I'm like, you know what? His job is not to say good morning to <laughs> us. His job is to make a billion dollars so I could buy a house in Huntington Beach, California. Okay. Right. And I'm happy with that food chain right there. Mm-hmm. You know, so taken away, it was being able to adjust to different environments and uh, I mean, I don't even know where to begin, mate. Yeah. I'm much right. better. For those of you out here, the first time you ever seen Max Joseph, you're like, dude, this, this dude's pretty stiff. He's not very funny. Well, you see me in real life. It's way different. Yeah. He I'm, is very I'm funny. I'm used to pacing back and forth and clapping my hands and doing this. I'm not used to sitting in a chair. 
All right. right. But I'm doing this for Byron. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, but you're doing, you're, you're awesome. No, and that's one of the things I love, man, your energy that you bring to teaching when you do it. I think you hit on a lot of really big uh, kind of friction points that dudes struggle with in the industry. And we kind of touched on them a couple of times and it's just being able to make the transition from being a warrior, like an all out stinking, we're whipping it on, you know, I got blood on my shoes, you know, I'm not showering and nothing matters other than my like lethality and my ability to work with my team into this executive protection industry where you got to put a suit on, you need to gain cultural equity, you know, you you need to, uh, I said it to these other guys the other day, they're like, yeah, we have these backgrounds, da, 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 da. I'm like, you know what we're really looking for? I'm looking for a guy that can do his job and has a social intelligence to where I can put him next to a client and the client doesn't feel weird afterwards, after the show, drive. Show up on time. Yeah. <laughs> show up on time, you know? Yep. Because um, it's these little things that end up making you successful, helping you achieve success in your industry here, you know, regardless of what yeah. you did once upon a time. So with that that first detail, you know, several of the guys that were in my platoon that got out, they were, they were a little bit younger than me. They, you know, they were corporals when they got out and they didn't have the maturity to last that environment, you know, and some of them got fired. Um, they got fired for fraternizing with females inappropriately. They got fired for dr drinking, drinking and showing up to work. Normal stuff young guys do. Normal Marine stuff, yeah. yeah. <laughs> normal Marine stuff, but it ain't normal working the EP, you know, showing exactly. up, showing up, hung over for, you know, formation PT, that's normal. Right, right, right. right. But not, not when you're driving a $200,000 Bentley with a client in the back. Right, 100%. So all good with that stuff. Uh, working some v, uh, VIP jobs uh, overseas. Uh, I think you, you may we you may get into that later on, but um, that was always a good combination because mm -hmm. I started that before I got on with the ATA, mm -hmm. and so I didn't have a lot of experience working overseas except in the jungle. You know, uh -huh. we've been down to Central America with the Marine Corps. We've been over in the Philippines, you know, but I didn't interact with villagers other than maybe trading them a. Uh, sea rat for a, a thing of lumpia, you know, <laughs> for a pack of okay. cigarettes, for yeah, for some dip or something crazy. For some, yeah. All right, what do you got for me? <laughs> yeah, no, it's a different mission set. It's really just kind of understanding that the mission changes and being able to transition from those two worlds. Because I had a bunch of guys that I would take into a house, I'd follow them into a house on any given day that just didn't make it in the industry for these exact reasons, you know. That's, I think that's one of the biggest things that warriors deal with when they're trying to make that transition. Yeah, no, you can't be, you can't, you know, you know I'm, I'm wound, you know, I've been out for over 30 years out of the Marine Corps, you know? Right. And if, if you talk to my female, she'd say, I never got out, you know, that I'm, that I've been in the whole time, but right. you know, you, you gotta, you gotta unwind. You gotta know when to, when to chill out. You can't be, have thin skin and be an advanced guy. And when you're out there dealing with, you know, talking, interviewing people, things like that, you know, you gotta, you gotta mellow out a little bit and, it was kind of funny when I got brought on with State Department was I was the only Marine on the team. of a, There was 11 of us. I was yeah. the only Marine on the team at that time. And all the rest of the dudes were all Delta and SF dudes. Wow. Right? So I caught an unheard of amount of shit every morning. <laughs> I'd show up to the range and they'd be like, hey, what's a Marine call a helicopter? Ooh, 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 ooh. You know, and that's, a, that's how my day would start. But we ended, yeah. up, we ended up becoming, you know, really good friends. And those guys were super knowledgeable. But as far as like appearances go, you would never think that it, they'd been in the military in their life, you know, long hair, unblouse mm. boots. And I'm all high and tight at that time. And like, yelp, yelp. Yeah, like, yeah. Dude, you need to chill out, man. You need to freaking relax a little bit. You're going to have a stroke. You know, you're not in the Marine Corps anymore. <laughs> freaking chill out. And so anyway, 
when I started yeah. my company, it was like that that was my own personal little Marine Corps. I could I could be as hardcore as I want to be when I'm in my range. Heck yeah. That's the that's the game. And I it's something that I do too, uh, is is building that side hustle while you're in the industry, being able to balance the two of them, you know, because it's tough to serve two masters. It's just a sidebar. What would you say about, you know, building your own side company while being uh, active, you know, with the private security industry? Is there any knowledge that you would drop to guys that are working on side projects while they're also in the game and the balancing act and all those things? Yeah, without a doubt. You know, when I started my company, it was, it was different dynamics. It is nowadays. Um, mm-hmm. It was to have, to have a, a shooting tactics school. That was very, very unique. You know, there was really only, there was Gunsight, there was Ray Chapman and uh, John uh, John Shaw back then, you know, that had f- schools back around. So I think I got in at a good time. I got in before the industry became inundated with every saturated, every civilian that's been through three shooting courses, opens his own company, you know? Right. Um, but as far as advice, you know, it's, you know, listen to people that have been doing it for a while, uh, reach out. I had mentors that totally helped me that I, before I even knew that you could even start your own company, I was helping this guy out who owned a company in, in Orange County here. He was a former army and former Marine Corps vet, Vietnam, Bronze Star, Silver Star. And he had a company that um, did training for guys that wanted to go overseas and be mercenaries at that time. You know, mm-hmm. he, had a, he had a short ranger school, he had a seer school, and I used wow. to help him out for free. I would, I would take leave from the Marine Corps and I'd go help him out and be one of the instructors. And I'm like, you know what? I can, I can do this. In fact, I could probably do it a little bit better because I'm fresher with this stuff than he is. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that what gave me the confidence to start my company. But, you know, once again, I asked him for advice, you know, how do I do this? Yeah. I, ha- I have zero, zero business, you know, background. It was learning as we go. Fortunate to have a very squared away female that's been with me for a long time. Yeah. My wife. And, right. uh, you know, she's, she's smarter than I am, but so she's, she's helped me out with a couple of things, but, you know, uh, seek out advice and, um, and just don't try to take off too big of a bite at a time. You know, a lot of these companies, they come out of nowhere. The dude's driving a, you know, a hundred thousand dollar Hummer. It's like, yeah, this, and then and he's out of business a year later. Yeah. Wrapped with his I've, emblem, with his brand. And it's all, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've seen that, seen that happen so many times, you know, yeah. the dudes with the biggest mouse sometimes are the first ones out of business. Yeah. So be humble, seek advice and um, be safe for sure. Oh Yeah. I hope you guys are listening. That's wisdom right there. That is wisdom. And in my entrepreneurial extracurricular activities, you know, I'm a, I'm a grunt, you know, I'm a grunt first. So I'm like, not scared. Like, it's interesting. Cause I'm like, not as scared as I probably should be of things. So I'm like, yeah, let's do it, man. Let's build a parachute on the way down. You know, and I've been <laughs> in many situations where I'm like, <laughs> like, what am I going to do? How am I going to pull this off? But we're Marines, you know, by the grace of God and we're Marines, we figure it out. But, uh, that's some good advice. That's wisdom, man. Don't bite off too much. Uh, consistent incremental progress is a fortress. <laughs> you know, that's that's uh, what uh, one of my guys, Tim Scarrett, Tim's been with me almost 20 years, one of my instructors. And, you know, he said a long time ago, he's, he's a very smart dude. And he's like, he's like, hey, chief, he said, slow and steady growth is better than dynamic out of nowhere because you go up fast, you, you come down fast. Yes, and that's what sir. we've been doing. We've just been we've been steady throughout the years and. And I keep my my crew very lean as far as, you know, numbers are our overhead is not very high. And it's like, that's it. You know, these companies that have huge payrolls, something comes along like COVID, you know, and they're they're screwed big time. Cumbersome. 
So exactly. So we're we're very lean, and um, we're going to keep it that way. Heck yeah, no, lean in a good way. Lean and mean. Lean and mean. That's how we like it. Uh, what would you say? Uh, and one of the things I noticed about your course that I really really appreciated was there was a soft skills portion. You know, there is, you know, this is how you do these soft skills things. What would you say about the soft skills in relation to the hard skills in executive protection? No, I mean, the soft skills are, are every single day from the time you show up to the time you get off. Uh, hard skills are something we hope will never happen. Right. But you got to be prepared for it or else why would they why would they be paying us? OK, if right. you're not there preparing for something bad to happen. How do we justify our, our job existence? <laughs> no, this, the, the soft skills are important. It's something I had to learn for sure. And I mm -hmm. was fortunate to have guys take me under their wing and teach me that stuff. And that was something when, you know, all these cats started rolling back from Afghanistan and Iraq. You know, they're like, you know, they I, they work PSD in environments where they're, you know, getting shot at and freaking IEDs are going off. And they think that they can jump, just jump right in uh, to the civilian sector but they don't correlate. I mean, it doesn't, it's not the same thing. And so for a lot of those guys and greatest mind respect for, you know, the multiple tour combat vets, you have to freaking relax a little bit and learn the soft skills because that's what you do every single day. Um, awkward, awkwardness and environments like that. You know, when I first started working and going to those places, I, I did feel awkward, you know, right. And everyone knew Sergeant Joseph is, you know, spitting Copenhagen <laughs> and swearing and, you know, this and that. And most of you still do know me like that, but believe it or not, I have a whole closet full of suits over here. Um, <laughs> right, right. But yeah, you have to, you had to learn that. You know, I, I grew up in a very blue, blue uh, collar, middle class thing, you know, back east in a steel town in the Midwest. And um, so it was a different environment, you know, but you just, uh, you, you, you bend, you know, you, you, you bend or you're going to break. So yeah. Just do it. That's how the willow tree survives the storm, as they say. Thoughts on the ideal traits of an executive protection agent when you're looking at guys, maybe bringing a guy on a team or maybe recommending guys to, to join forces with any of the companies you're associated with. What kind of traits are you looking for? Yeah, and that's, that's something I don't take lightly because I have mm -hmm. recommended several of my students, you know, that have gone through my VIP course or that I've seen right. in a different environment. So, it, you know, it's huge. And there's a lot of them. Uh, believe you know, honesty number one. Okay, because sometimes you're you're around uh, a lot of cash and jewels and temptations and things like that. Punctuality is huge. All right, I'm fanatic about punctuality because all your details all revolve around a timeline. Right, motorcade is supposed to be outside when that principal walks out at zero nine hundred. It it can't be showing up at zero nine oh two. Right, you have them standing there in, in the rain for two minutes. So punctuality is huge, maturity, intelligence, obviously, and um, and fitness, you know? Yes. Uh, not everyone has time to go to the dojo six days a week, you know, but you can't be, you can't look like a slob and you, you better be able to grab that client and get him, you know, to protection if something's going down without having a heart attack yourself. Yeah, 100%. Solid. I think fitness is another one people run from, but it's just, it is intense integral to being a protector this is unavoidable <clears throat> no there's um, no doubt but, but you know fitness goes along with your whole mental alertness as well you know yes. usually usually when people are slovenly they're they think slovenly you know in yeah. fact they they did a survey and one of my guys tim told me this this deal because he does a lot of research on police statistics but they interviewed all these uh dudes who are cop killers they were in, in prison for life or they're on death row 
and they interview him to find out, you know, why did you pick him? Why, what was the moment that you chose to kill this police officer? Okay. What, what made you think you had a chance of success? And what a reoccurring theme was, um, was uniform was sloppy. Okay. Or he was fat. And they said, if he's sloppy and he's fat, he probably doesn't train very much with his firearm. In fact, he probably doesn't even clean it. You know, right. it was even little things like haircuts. You know, he had mm -hmm. a sloppy haircut. So I figured if he didn't care about his appearance, he didn't care about his fitness, he didn't care about his, his firearm necessarily, it's going to be easy for me to get that gun away from him. Right. And so fitness with the EP goes along with command presence. You know, yes. you got you to have command presence because you could defuse nine out of 10 situations without becoming physical. Right. right? Just by just by using command presence. However, if that one out of 10 times, you know, you better be able to control a situation physically. 100%. And we return back to the Marine Corps values. <laughs> right? Yep. Yo, Monday, you better come correct, have your hair cut, go on ahead and be punctual. You know, if you're on time, you're late, better be 15 minutes early. I love it. I love it. You know, I, I'll tell you a story. And the, 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 this girl's name is not important. Some, right. some people may know who I'm talking about, but she was a student of mine. There are several courses in a VIP course. Yeah extremely squared away very fit she's a crossfit instructor awesome excellent shooter she's in the top five percent of the class i'm not kidding you and so she had everything going for her and she wanted to break into the ep field she had a, a civilian job where she was making a ton of money but she always wanted to get into the the work yeah and i'm like you're perfect for it you're perfect you got the look you're fit you're smart you can shoot you can fight um whole nine yards but here was her deal when she show up for the my courses, the VIP course in particular, it's not good to be late for any of my courses, but the VIP one is very, very bad one to show up late. <laughs> you really better session. figure it out. Yep. Um, so she would be late every day for mm -hmm. class. Not very late, just like two minutes late. Oh, two minutes. Literally. Okay. Yeah. So it's like I would just I would have everyone in the classroom, okay, zero eight hundred in the dot. Good morning, men. Welcome to day three, VIP protection. And then she'd right. walk through the door. Okay. And I'd be like, where were you? Oh, I'm sorry, sir. So I'm only two minutes late. Okay. It doesn't matter. You're late. Wrong answer. <laughs> so if she went through the course, she graduated. Well, she just pissed me off because she was late a lot. Um, I got a call from a guy who needed a, a female agent in Los Angeles for a very good, very high paying detail. Okay. Mm -hmm. Prestigious detail. And so I said, I, I, I got, I got a chicken mind for you. Got a young lady of mine. So I call her up and I said, okay, listen, I'm recommending you for this. But I tell you what, right now, you cannot be late. Oh, sir. Uh, nope. You've taught me a new outlook on life. If I'm on time, I'm late. And if I'm, you know, early, I'm on time. And, I'll, you know, never be, I would never do that to you. So anyway, I recommend her. Mm -hmm. I talked to the team leader up there about a week later on a totally unrelated matter. And I said, hey, how is she working out? He goes, oh, I fired that chick. I said, you fired her. She's only been a week. I said, let me yeah. guess. Let me guess. She was late. And he goes, he, she was late the first three days in a row for work. It's like, no really? No you start a new job and you're you're late three days in a row? You're late during the honeymoon period? You can't be late. I mean, no it's way. the honeymoon period. <laughs> it's going to be worse. Yeah. So anyway, man. yeah, punctuality is just, it, it's something uh, something that I believe is very huge. You know, we used to, and I, I hate sounding, you know, kind of older here. But when I started in this work, dude, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have laptop computers. Okay. 
we you're 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 getting ready to go to Eastern Europe, whatever. You went and you got a damn encyclopedia and looked that country up, you know, did study in that. And this is computers were just really inter coming out, you know, very few guys had computers. Oh. But you know what? So no cell phones, no laptops, no GPSs. We never missed a movement. How we did it, I have no idea. <laughs> but when that client's aircraft would land in, in Bucharest, we're standing there on time. We never missed a movement that I can ever recall. And I, I, I reflect on that a lot. How we yeah. did it, I have no idea. Okay? It's like <laughs> it's like forgotten technology, how they built yeah. the pyramids. No one remembers. Okay, <laughs> But all right. I know is someone built those pyramids. And we did details all over the world without all this technology. Is it nicer to have it? Of course it is, you know, right. but I, I still go to some places where you ain't going to get cell phone reception, you know, you're, you know, not on EP details, but on other, other things, but yeah. So we, we got along without all that stuff. You know, a, a lot of guys uh, these days, you're like, you know, Oh, I, I did a, I did a course up in the Bay area mm-hmm. for one of the large uh, details up there. And we we're going to do our FTX the next day uh in san francisco by the downtown wharf and all that stuff and um i'm the student it's a student-led op order so he's given the op order you know they had classes all week on how to write those so he's issuing the op order and here's every single person in there on their phone they're logging all this stuff in right right i, I told him i said you have to have a, a written one too okay in case your phone dies or in case you lose your phone but they all they all did that their phones right which is normal, especially for these guys because they work in the tech, you know, community. But when the op order got done, I said, um, "Okay." I said, "Team leader, I said a very good job. That was very well done, very detailed. I like your delivery, etc." I look at the everyone in the class, like twenty four guys, and I said, um, "Okay, is everyone everyone confident? What's going on today?" And they're like, "Yes, sir. We're we're ready." I said, "I had a basket there. It was something that they brought muffins in oh, or something." No. And I said. Uh, <laughs> I said, what happened if I set this basket here and had every one of you put your cell phones um, in, in there and then head out and do this detail? And they just quiet. They, they were silent. And they <laughs> said, we'd be as well know what they said. They, they, they were serious. They said, we, we couldn't do it. Can't do it. Yeah. I said, you couldn't, you couldn't do it if you didn't have a cell phone. And they were like, how could we? You know? And uh, here's, a, here's a funny one, mate. There's your failure point. Yeah. We're on. Um, I'm doing a course for the Navy and um, we're, we're doing NVG stuff at night and it's raining and the guys are all struggling with their nods, you know, and we're going to go do a movement, do a short, a short patrol for a couple clicks. And I said, just, I said, just take them off. All right. Just mm-hmm. take them off. And they're like, well, how can we see? And I said, we patrolled, we patrolled all over the world at night without nods. And they looked at me like I was full of crap, Byron. I'm not kidding. Like, <laughs> they were like, oh, could oh you? my God. They're like, how, how could you see anything? Okay. Uh, we, we could man. see things because we didn't have a big green freaking nod stuck in our eyeball. You know? Right. Are, are, are those nice to have? Yeah, they, they're nice to have. But, um, you know, you got to revert back. And I remember SF guys give me a hard time all the time. You're like, oh, man, you know, you're navigating with a compass because we we're arguing compass versus GPS and all that. You know, and I'm yeah. like, you know. Uh, they were looking at my survival kit and I had magnesium match and I'm like, Hey, just bring a lighter devil dog, you know, and <laughs> like that. But I mean, I, I believe that to fall back on the austere skills or, or going to save your ass, you know, 100%. I really do. Yep. Then it's just, it's more dependable. It just is what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a less of a failure point. Um, no, that's good gouge, man. That's good stuff. What would you say is the hardest lesson you've learned in the field, in the private security game? I saw, you know, I, I, I reflected on that 
and it's hard to say the hardest lesson I've learned, I would have to say, keep your opinions quiet, keep them to yourself. You know, it's like my dad always told me, he said, don't speak about religion, sex or politics, you know, around strangers. And that's, that's always why, but with clients and clients, family members, it's huge. The, well, for me anyway, don't be yourself. Yeah. Don't be yourself. Agent. Keep your, yeah. Keep your dog on political views, your sexual views, completely yourself, you know, and, uh, and be the gray man, be the gray man. No client ever likes a dude who who wants to be his lap dog and be around him all the time, you know, seeking, seeking approval and favoritism. Those are usually the first guys that are fired. Yep. So be the gray man. And that first client that I worked for, I worked for him for over two years before I ever even knew my name. And I had it. Awesome. I had it. Yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I had to drive him one time and we're stopping the red light on Rodeo. And he looks over at me and he goes, because uh, he was actually up front. It was, it was strange circumstances for this thing. I was giving him a ride because he had been at a party and he didn't want to drive home. Mm-hmm. So I was driving him and he's sitting next to me and looks at me and he goes, what's your name? <laughs> and I said, I said, Max, sir. And he goes, how long have you worked for me? I'm like, two years, sir. And he goes, hmm. And I'm like, damn, now he knows my name. No, yeah, now, now I'm on the radar. <laughs> now he knows my name. Every time something goes wrong, he'd be like, oh, Max. Max. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so yeah, be, be the gray man. And, um, you know, just uh, keep your keep your private opinions to yourself, you know, and um, you know, that's it. There are, there are some clients who I've never worked for any so-called celebrities. You know, I, I'm not big on Hollywood. I don't dig on the whole Hollywood thing, but I've worked for a lot of industrialists. And some of them are from Midwest, you know, very, very uh, big companies, very successful companies. And their views were just like mine because they talk to you like they just talk to you like they talk to you. They're not they're not born to the, you know, the Beverly Hills type thing. They're they're from the Midwest. And um, but even still, even still, they're like, you know, uh, we're in in northern Brazil and uh, the client wanted to go in this Amazonian weapon shop where they're making like crossbows and they're making blowguns. Right. We walk in there. And I'm like, this is something out of a movie. This is where you don't take your client into, right? Literally. But there's always it's Amazonians the- freaking, you know, making blowguns and stuff. But anyway, the, the wife's talking to me. She goes, do you like to hunt? And I said, uh, well, ma'am, um, I don't really have time to, you know, these days, you know, get, get a, be careful with that stuff, you know? Right. She goes, my husband has killed just about every animal on the face of the earth. Our right. house is covered with, you know, heads all over the walls. So I'm like, I dig that, but I, I'm not going to get into there. I'm not going to go. Yeah. You know, I, yeah, I do like hunting and stuff because you never know. It just, just be, Which, yeah, yeah. They're not your friends. They're not right. your friends. Um, and I think that keeping your distance. Okay. Like, like the dude before I was saying, you know, he doesn't even say good morning to us. Right. It's not his job to say good morning to us. Yeah. Right. It's his job to do his company so that we can continue working for him. And, right. uh, you know, I don't care if he doesn't say hi. And I don't, right. I, I even like it better if you didn't know my name, but hundred percent, just do yeah. your job. Cause you never know which way the wind's going to blow tomorrow. You, you don't. know, him being a big hunter might be a, a point of contention between the two of them. And now she associates you as the same kind of guy. Oh, totally. you know, totally. you got and it. Now you guys are talking about hunting stuff when she wants to talk to him and then there's friction there and then you're gone. <laughs> Correct. Correct. And it's like, you know, when guys are like picking, uh, selecting tables and seats right. for them in restaurants, you know, they're doing their advance. You know, I tell them that, you know, get a table, 
private area where they can block you know most access if, if someone's coming to the table, et cetera. But be right. close enough where you can't hear private conversation. Right. Be, be far away enough where you can't hear private conversation. Be close enough where you can hear them if they if they want to call you over if they need something, go to the bathroom. Exactly. Whatever. But I don't I don't want to hear their private conversations. I don't want to hear them arguing. Because the more I hear, the more endangered I am as far as, you know, being a liability to them. As far Absolutely. As yeah. And don't don't look over at the wrong. Learn how to learn how to not be listening to man, especially these car rides. You know, sometimes uh, you the just, gray man. It's, yeah, it's stay the gray. gray man thing. You know, it's huge. Invisible. Uh, that's uh, survivability. Uh, keeping the game. Um, what would you say is your proudest moment out in the field doing this work? Doing, doing EP stuff, um, we did a detail, well, several details for a family that from the Midwest, um, their company uh, was having a centennial and they had factories all over Eastern Europe and Europe. And they wanted to go tour all these factories. You know, the, you know, the, the mythical American owners are going to come and, you know, shake hands with all the employees. So they, I, I didn't go to all 22 countries, but I went to a couple of them and you know, it was pretty, pretty amazing having them, you know, going into these factories and having to set up cordons for them and all that stuff. Cause we don't know these, yeah. we don't know all these employees. We don't know if oh. some of them are disgruntled, fired yeah. ones that have returned to do whatever. Employees can be but anything. Yeah. <laughs> for three, three principals, we had 15 team members. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you're trying to, trying to lay low. But when I was, um, me and the other guys were dropping them off at the airport in Bucharest, they're flying home on their own jet. It was the end of the tour. And the principal, this was the kind of kind of guy that would, could talk to you, you know. Right. And he said, um, he goes, Thank you, Max. He shook my hand. He goes, We never even know you, we never even noticed you guys were there. Right. Now that yes. might have been might have been an exaggeration. However, just him saying that was a major compliment because how do you make, you know, 15, 16 guys not be obvious? Right. Well, Disappear. You, know, you try hard. And mm-hmm. so apparently we succeeded in that. And I, I thought I was pretty proud of that. I'm like, damn, that's a good comment. I'm, I like that. Hundred percent. Yeah, it's that seamless security. It's that we 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 are giving a deliverable that's not interrupting their quality of life or impacting it negatively. That's that's totally the deal. It's like a it's like a seatbelt. Okay, if you have a seatbelt mm-hmm. that's malfunctioning, and every time you lean forward to try to do the radio, it restricts you or it doesn't retract and go back to where it's supposed to. What are you going to do? You're going to click it off. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what you're going to do. Right. right. The thing is, so we're like that. But I mean. When that oak tree is headed for the, you know, the hood of your car at 90 miles an hour, there's no time to put your seatbelt on. It's too, right. too late. So it's like us. If we if we restrict their movements, they're going to get rid of us. And um, so just got to, yeah, like I said, just go with the flow. Mm. And there's a, there's a huge difference. And I know that you are have the same mindset that I am, you know, the executive protection specialist. You know, I never used the word bodyguard. Yeah, that's a, that's a that's a passe word from 1970s. You know, if anyone's saying that these days, I think a bodyguard is a dude that works a he's an ex felon that works a door to strip club. You know, that's what, <laughs> that's what a bodyguard is. Right, right. right. No, yeah, you got to have some refinement, right? And um, you know, just be able to you know, go go with the flow and not restrict your your uh, principal's deals. You know, that's the same thing with uh, I don't know, you know, guys that are just all you know all bearded they're coming back with that you know uh bearded you know overseas operator look and all that they don't want right. that they don't want that okay unless right. you're working for a dude in minnesota who's a lum- who owns a lumberjack company that's the only place you you, you want a great big beard like that in my yeah. opinion right you know that you got to blend into that culture that you're working mm-hmm. it's just it's it's survival cultural equity is survivability in this game 
No, that's good stuff. That's good gouge. And that compliment is huge. We never even knew you were here. That's exactly what you want, you know? Yep. Um, and so we went over kind of the mission statement of direct action group real quick, as we enter our closing questions, what, uh, what type of courses do you guys offer? Just so everyone knows you guys got some interesting stuff. We have a, we have a huge variety, you know, you got to check right. out our website, uh, dad-usa.com. But I mean, yep. what very, you know, apropos to this, uh, podcast here is our VIP protection course. It's the most popular uh, one I run for SWAT teams around the country. I got one coming up here in uh, next month in, in uh, Wisconsin. And then we have one coming up in here in LA. I only do one a year in LA, Byron, and it's coming okay. up in April, the 20th okay. to the 24th of April, uh, 2021. And um, if anyone's interested in that, you know, you can always give me a call. I'm always reachable either by, you know, email or by my phone. Mm-hmm. And um, that, I mean, I'm doing urban sniper courses coming up here at Fort McCoy in Wisconsin, two-man team tactics, vehicle engagement. I'm just looking at my calendar on the wall here and seeing what we got coming up. But uh, room combat, uh, you know, our, our, our normal gamut of uh, tactical handgun courses. And that's right. where most people start. Even, even guys that are coming out with the intention of you know, going to our VIP protection course um, usually go through TAC Pistol 1 and 2 first just to get – locked on to our TTPs as far as weapons handling and whatnot. It's not mandatory by any means. If, if someone's got, you know, uh, previous live fire training from reputable source, they could just show up for the VIP class, uh, but they can't show up there without any live fire tactical training because it is a live fire course. It's very dynamic. Um, I think what makes our course um, a little bit different is that it's a common combination of the, the hard skills and soft skills. And Byron mentioned that earlier that, um, you know, people will say, well, why is there, why, you know, I've just heard this comment once or twice over the last couple of decades, but, you know, why do you have so much live fire when that's not really part of the job? It's it's part of the job if you're required to do it. And the thing right. is, you know, once once someone has that diploma that I give them, if they successfully complete that course and they go to interview somewhere, the, the person being doing the interview already know that that person has checked that box as far as, hey, Max would not have graduated this individual if he was not squared away with that weapon. Right. And I've worked on some details where like, Holy crap, I can't believe this dude's got a loaded gun in his holster. Right. You know? And um, uh, definitely story about that. Um, Mm -hmm. Worked for another client. And my first day in the job, Mm -hmm. first day, um, I'm sitting in the security office, which is about 10 by 20, whatever, you know, normal cameras and racks of shotguns on. Anyway, I'm sitting there my first night at work. And I'm like, "Um, do you have an SOP manual? And they're like, yes, we do. I said, I'd like to read it, please. So I know what's expected of me. And so I'm sitting down reading this SOP manual. In comes this cat for work. And I don't know any of these dudes. I don't know any of them. Mm-hmm. On the desk next to me, he's opened his briefcase up. He pulls out a stainless steel Colt commander, slaps a magnet and racks around in that weapon. Standing right, right here. Okay. Oh, I'm like, hey, you idiot. Mm-hmm. I said, what the hell are you doing? And he goes, what are you getting all upset about? I heard you're some sort of big gun guru. I said, I'm getting upset because you're a friggin' idiot, okay? <laughs> and I and I and I don't care if I get fired at my first night. I don't know anybody, right? Yeah, yeah. I'd, yeah. Ra- I'd rather be fired than shot. Right, hundred percent. So I went. I went to the boss and I said, and remember, I'm the new guy on the block, but I didn't care. Mm-hmm. I said, um, hey, these guys need live fire training. Oh, they have it. They all have their you know California gun card. I said, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking it's about. Not, yeah, guys, it doesn't count. These guys, it doesn't count. It doesn't count <laughs> for anything. Anything, yeah. And the thing is, um. 
he ended up, I said, these guys cannot handle the, they cannot shoot. I guarantee it. He goes, how could you tell that? You've never even seen them shoot. I said, take my word for it, sir. Yeah. So the client paid for them to come out to tack pistol level one. Okay. Awesome. Our, our, our foundation course. And you know what? Some of these guys who'd worked for the client for 15 years, and, you know, whose heads were this big, it can't fit through the door. Cause they'd be yeah, because they had tenure. They're, they're shooting my, my target stand from seven yards away. Yeah. Right? They're shooting the damn target stands. They're flinching mm-hmm. their weapons so bad. And the, the, the TL, I looked back at him and I said, I told you. And he, goes, <laughs> he goes, how did you know that? I said, I could tell just by the way that they handled their weapon because yeah. the mark of professional is not necessarily how fast and accurate that individual shoots. All right. It's how he handles his weapon. That mm-hmm. is the mark of professional. Okay. Yes. If you were going to go on a high risk operation, you had a stack mm-hmm. of guys behind you. Would you rather have them guys be excellent shooters and moderate handlers, or would you rather be excellent handlers and moderate shooters? Okay. Mm-hmm. For me, I would pick the latter in a heartbeat. Right. Okay? So I don't want to have to worry about the guys behind me as much as I got to worry about the guys in front of me. Right. The handling is definitely important. Uh, no, this is something that I, I, I've definitely noticed over the years. Uh, and something that I mentioned is the second you touch your weapon, I can tell how intimate you are with your firearm. And I can tell, I got, I know everything I, I need to know about your relationship with your, 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 um, tools of war, you know, the second, and you've seen it that when they go to draw that draw stroke, they're unsure, they're, they're draw, they're shaky, they're bowling, they're fishing. And it's like the second we get to the range. And anytime I see you touch that weapon, there's, I don't know if it's an energetic thing as well, but you can just tell if that confidence is there and that competence is also there or if it's not. And we have to have it be there, man. No, you can, it's, 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 it's evident to anyone who knows what to look for, Mm -hmm. you know, going to some of these third world countries, you know, we're doing live fire training. Um, I get them online or we (laughs) get them online on on the first day, you know, we demonstrate, you know, Hey, bring your weapon out to position three to low ready. You know, we're going to unload. Mm-hmm. And we could tell exactly like you just said, as soon as I'm, I'm watching that line and I could tell when they freaking pull them weapons out of the holster, they don't have to fire a shot. Okay? Yeah, yeah. They pull them out of the holster and I could tell where the next three weeks is going to be fun or whether it's going to be a nightmare from hell. Right. Yeah. Just by, <laughs> they don't ever have to fire a shot. So 100%. Yeah. So what else we got here? We got a few more. Um, who would you nominate to come on the show? That's one of my other fun questions who would i nominate to come on on your podcast show yeah yes sir either protector uh protector podcast which is just all about warriors studying warriors or epl which is all about executive protection i'd have to say in a heartbeat ellen Brosnan from tees yeah um okay yep so kiwi i, I call him kiwi okay. kiwi was in the sas for 11 years new zealand sas and you know so at that time the special air service was in charge of protecting the prime minister and whatnot. And these days okay. the, the police, the police do that. But back then, you know, the SAS had that responsibility. So when I met him, he had really written the SOP manual for that whole uh, 38 man team. Wow. And so I learned a lot. I learned, I learned a lot from him. And while his primary deal these days is teaching explosive breaching. Mm-hmm. Um, he also has a, a VIP protection course. That's uh, that's dynamic and extremely, extremely popular. And I, I probably kind of modeled some of mine after his over the years, you know, after helping him out, things like that. But yeah, get him on. Uh, he needs a haircut. Okay. That, like the 1970s mullet thing going on. But yeah, he's, yeah. Got a weird, he's got a weird accent, but I think you'd find him entertaining. Heck yeah, solid. I don't know if you have the ability to make that 
intro that'd be awesome otherwise i can find some way of probably getting to him but no i'll be i'll be seeing him here in about a week all right good to go thank you for that and then yep. favorite quote mantra saying the more you sweat in peace unless you bleed more yes you know, that's that's what we've modeled our whole training philosophy after and that's what i was raised on you know and i i do believe that um you know the harder you train the the less you're going to bleed without a doubt and that's it so there's a lot of good sayings, you know, but I mean, mm -hmm. if I had, if I had one on my wall here, that's what it'd be. It used to be in the duty hut, the first recon battalion, freaking up on the, up on the wall, big old sign. Standing. You know, uh, I, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah. I just, you know, a couple shout outs here. Mm -hmm. I want to, I want to thank our, our strategic partners, direct action group has a couple companies that work very closely uh, and they're allied with us. Yeah. Um, Maxpedition being one, you know, they've mm -hmm. always taken care of us, Vortex Optics. Uh, edge eyewear, Garmont boots, you know, and these, these, these are things that we actually wear every single day. You know, my, right. my, my glass, my binoculars are sitting right here. They're all, they're all vortex. Mm -hmm. And so these are not just companies that a lot of companies have offered to be partnerships with us and they'll send us products, but if their products suck. I don't, we're not going to use them and I don't recommend them, but right. you know, the, the companies that we're allied with. And if you go to our webpage, every, all of them are listed on, on the, the homepage. So you awesome. see all the companies. I don't have time to mention all of them right now. Um, but yeah, they're, they're very, very solid products, very, very squared away stuff. And we use them and I've worn this stuff all over the world, whatever it is. And I, I definitely want to thank my cadre. Um, mm -hmm. I've mentioned previously how small I've kept my cadre over the years, but I mean, I mean, these, these individuals are just very, very dynamic. And I, I never could have experienced success that we have without, um, having very, very, very loyal. I, I think one word sums these guys up and, and gals, uh, Ashley is, um, is loyalty, you mm -hmm. know, and, uh, just, you know, being able to go with the go with the flow, you know, and, and be flexible. And then especially thanking our students. You know, I, I've never kept track and it's too late now, three decades into this, but I mean, we've trained literally tens of thousands of, of individuals. Wow. Um, without, I mean, tens of thousands. And wow. some of the best job satisfaction I've ever had in my life is when I get after action reports from soldiers over, you know, in Iraq and Afghanistan when that was going on you know, in their first firefight or whatever, and they're going, it went down just like you, just like you had us do the, the, the break contact drill, or just like you had us do whatever, you know? And and I, one of the few regrets I have in life, because I don't have many regrets, yeah, um, if any, really, but one is that um, letters that I've received and emails of police officers that have survived gun gunfights who've been through our training and thanking us for the training they received. You know, I wish I'd saved all those. I wish I'd compiled all those into a folder, yeah. you know, because just going through them, you know, it just, but it's, it's very rewarding, obviously, you know, um, yes, sir. I would, I would do this for free if I was independently wealthy. Mm -hmm. Okay. But I'm not, so I'm glad you guys pay me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But no, I mean, it's a, it's a lot of jab satisfaction and it really is on a serious note. Um, I'm very, very fortunate to have stumbled into doing this uh, for a living and I wouldn't, couldn't envision doing anything else. That's awesome. That, I mean, that's, that's a calling. That's right where we all want to be doing the thing we would do for free and being able to make a living at it. That's huge. Totally. Mm -hmm. How would you like to be remembered? As a, I guess, as, as a mentor, like I remember a lot of my mentors over the years, they really yeah. were formative, you know, on me, but uh, you know, for just as, as a mentor, as far as surviving hostile situations or, and or running proper demanding training, you know, a, a lot of young soldiers and whatnot, you know, they've come out to our course and like, holy, we never did anything like this in the army. 
you know, because we do things different, you know? Yeah. And so they take that back and they, they spread it with their training programs as well. Because I, I see these guys a couple of years later and it's mm-hmm. like, they're, they're doing it the way they learned it with us. So awesome. I guess, yeah, I guess as a mentor. That's good to go. All right. Last few questions. Habit that people should look at that you think makes them a better person, better protector. Punctuality. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Simple. And then uh, what are you up to these days and where can people find you? Uh, you could find us at uh, dad-usa.com or tftd.com, either one. Um, we got a lot of stuff upcoming here in LA this year. And um, I, you have a protective symposium coming up. When is that, Byron? Yes, sir. That is January, February, March 11th through the 14th. So hopefully you'll okay. join us for that. And we can no, know, pull that thing out of the water. No, no, that'd be good to go. And uh, like I said, you know, advice is free. So if any of you have any questions about, you know, what other services we offer or just, you know, any pertinent questions like that, um, you can feel free to give me a call or email me uh, anytime. And will we be able to post like my contact info on this thing? 100%. Yeah, just send it over to me what you want me to post. I've got your links. I've got DAG-USA and TFTT.com so far. Okay, perfect. No, it's been an honor. Uh, thanks for having me on, Byron. And uh, yes, sir. like I said, my first my first podcast. Now, I'm, now I feel like a seasoned vet. Yes. <laughs> Good to go, man. Start your own. It's uh, been an honor. It's been an honor to have this conversation with you. And, and uh, this is an extremely information-rich conversation we've had. I know a lot of people are going to get a, a lot of agents and, and listeners are going to get a lot of value. So thank you. It's an honor. Thank you once again. Without a doubt. All right. Y'all be safe. Y'all out. Um, Yo, if you're a private security professional wanting to take your game to the next level, go to executiveprotectiontrainingday.com to check out my personal success package for private security professionals. Check it out, executiveprotectiontrainingday.com. And remember, y'all, hard skills do save lives, but soft skills get you paid. Boom. Boom. And to support this podcast, go to executiveprotectionlifestyle.com and contribute to our Patreon account. That Patreon account is what helps me make this podcast possible, contributing to this brand, what we're doing here, making it so that I can bring better guests on, making it so that we can plan more events and just expand the contribution to the private security industry and also to make an America a safer place. Do whatever you can, contribute whatever you can, because it makes all of these things possible. Thanks for those contributions. Yo, and before we go, you know I got a shout out to the sponsors, starting out with Primary Weapon Systems, PWS. They truly are the evolution of the rifle. Use Byron for 10% off. Grayman and Company, the most comfortable tactical suits in the game. Use Byron for 10% off with them. Ballistic Theory. You're going to start seeing a lot of stuff with me in Ballistic Theory because they got good ammo for good prices. Use Byron for my discount with those guys as well. Last but not least, Executive Protection Institute. Hey, go check them out and get your executive protection education on. Until the next podcast, this is Byron Rogers, protector by nature and by trade. Out.